really pleased. That's cool. Okay. Right. <clears throat> okay, in our last podcast, we were talking about collective sense-making, if you recall, mm-hmm. um, and the tools we have to understand our world and also the kind of sense-making tools that we may have forgotten. And as with all beneficial discourse, we kind of allowed each other to riff and range on the subjects. But there is still much more of that landscape to explore, I feel. And one of the regions we didn't really touch on was the coding of Judeo-Christian religion into the collective psyche Mm -hmm. and sense-making apparatus of of Western culture. Now, I specifically point the question at the West as I think I have a sense that we've more of a perception for the East in this in this matter. For example, um, look at the enforced conformity of Islam um, or the insisted kind of introspection of Buddhism. These are aspects, I feel, of those religions that are still very much in play. But our own religious heritage, I think, is is kind of, how would you say, it's kind of fogged. I can't really work out why. So in the first half an hour of the podcast, I'd like to talk with you about how this um, disharmony has come about and maybe in the latter half of the podcast talk about the effect of such a disharmony. So, Mike, to ask you more pointedly, do you see more of a disconnect between the West and its religious heritage in comparison to those of the East? And if you do, how does this disconnect impact our powers of sense-making? Great question. Uh, So, short answer is yes there is more of a disconnect. Um, and I think it's so, yeah, to, to answer the question briefly, and then we can drill down if you want. Yes, there is more of a disconnect. I've got some ideas as to why uh, that is. There aren't original ideas at all. <laughs> you know, it's like a... Well, that's um, fine. It's, it's, it's some of it from uh, Roger Scruton, as a matter of fact. Mm. But... Um, but yes, there is a, a, a bigger disconnect, and I think it, it impacts our collective sense making or ability to make sense of the world precisely because, well, for two re- for two main reasons. One is that, um, one is that the decline of religion has caused us to try to elevate things other than traditional religion past Mm. the point where they can do any good. Like science is a good example. Scientism, right? Uh, We've, for whatever reason that we can get into, we've put religion to one side and we've said, okay, so now science is a thing. Because at the end of the day, I mean, I really do believe that human beings are kind of inherently religious creatures. We need something to fill that kind of, um, to fill that slot in us and you know we're meaning seeking creatures we're pattern seeking creatures right so exactly so so um the fact is that religion can't tell us the things it's being asked to tell us it can't do uh, i'm sorry science i'm very sorry science cannot tell us the things we are asking it to tell us science cannot reassure us in the ways we are asking to be reassured Science can't, um, science doesn't have anything for kind of the inevitability of human suffering. It's not designed for, that's not a knock on science. Science wasn't designed for that. Science is a set of investigative techniques to get at the nature of empirical reality. That's all it is, right? 
um, it, it can't tell you certain things. It can't tell you what you should do, for example. That's, you know, sh- questions of should, you know, what should we do now, things like those aren't scientific mm-hmm. questions, you know, and, and so, so we're, we're, we're trying to shoehorn a lot of really interesting, hard questions into the science slot, and that's not working. So th- that causes us to make less sense. That causes things to, to look as if they're nonsensical. That causes us to say nonsensical things, like science proves that you should, science has proven that you should do X. That's an inherently dumb thing to say, because science can't prove what a human being should do. It's not, it's not what science is. Um, so that's one. And two, uh, it has caused us to, um, how can I put this? Well, I read this great, uh, this great quote that said tradition is a set of answers to questions that we've forgotten about. Mm-hmm. But if you get rid of the tradition, you get the problems back. <laughs> right. So and that's kind of the situation <clears throat> we're in. Like 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 there were all these stories that we told ourselves Um I have to say Jordan Peterson was a big uh, help in this because he was kind of my gateway drug back into really taking a hard look at Christianity and, 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 you know, going back and reading the Bible and what have you. And um, there's so much in there that at least gives you a framework, doesn't necessarily give you a nice kind of collated set of answers, but gives you a framework for kind of understanding certain things, Mm. certain very tough kind of wicked human problems right and it's like those stories are are part of our heritage and our culture for a reason it's like you you want to get rid of those stories okay but then all of a sudden there's all this stuff that starts to look mysterious to you because because you forgot that there was this there was this framework for dealing with certain difficult human problems. You know, the, the problem of arbitrary human cruelty, the problem of resentment, the issue of why, you know, I, I even conservatives, I get impatient with conservatives because they're always asking me, not always, but, you know, there are conservatives who will come and ask me dumb questions like, well, how come there's so much violence in the community? Someone asked me one time, how come there's so much violence between or so much uh, conflict between black people and white people? And I said, well, even even if you... Uh, can see that there is quote unquote so much conflict between black people and white people. Do you really have to go very far to ask why there's conflict between human beings? It's like, what's, what's the first, what is the first crime in the Bible? It's a fratricide. Very first thing that happened after human beings went from being on speaking terms with God in a walled garden, right? The very first thing they do when they get out. Okay, one brother kills another. What was that? Was that was that white on black violence? Black on black violence? Was it what was it? It was. Why is that story in that place in that book? You know, right near the beginning. It's because they want they really wanted us to know that this is very important. You have to know this about yourself as human beings. That's why that story is there, huh? So, you know, I, I won't ramble too long because then we have a lot uh, a territory to cover. But, yes, um, it, it is there has been this alienation from that piece of our cultural tradition. Yes, it's a problem. Yes, it's more of a problem here than in the so-called East. Um, it is it is interfering with our ability to make sense of the world because we're trying to make sense of the world. But we're trying to make sense of aspects of the world 
using tools that weren't designed to make sense of those aspects of the world. So I'll, I'll, I'll pause there. Yeah. No, I think that's, that's very well said. Um, it's interesting you talk about religious stories. Um, I've been thinking about re- religious stories and how, how I imbibed them as a, as a young person. Um, mm. I didn't go to church regularly. I did have church going grandparents and I have a, an auntie who's still in the church, but certainly in terms of Christ, um, christenings and weddings, um, and the odd Sunday school, um, you know, I was present and I went to Christian schools. So we always said the Lord's prayer. We always sung hymns. Mm. Um, and there was a, there was a presence of Christianity that was fairly strong throughout my formative years. Um, and, and the religious stories that, that were told, I think to be something like the, you were talking about patterns earlier on, something like the encapsulation of behavior patterns mm-hmm. throughout, throughout time. You know, we encapsulate these behavior patterns, um, usually the, the worst ones we have. And we try to make sense of why we do them over and over again. Mm. And that turns into a, a moralistic story. Um, and it gets hard coded into these into these ancient documents. And it seems that now we've got a foolish disregard for the um, for the meaning of these stories and how they've how they've kind of affected our, our forefathers and our, on our ancestors. And I think it's kind of also remiss of us not to pay attention to how these stories have shaped us. Um, What's your experience with how people who have had a Christian um, upbringing, even if it's by osmosis, you know, in their culture, how the the modern person um, pays attention or doesn't pay attention to to the prevalence of Christianity in Western culture? Ah, Well, you know, it's interesting. I... I was listening to a Roger Scruton talk and uh, he used a term that I thought fit very well with a lot of what I was seeing and probably a lot of what you see too in the West, uh, especially among young people, among woke people, right? It's uh, oikophobia, right? The the, the fear. What was that? What was that? Oikophobia, right? Oikos. So oikos, yeah. So oikos is Greek for your home, right? So oikophobia is like your fear and loathing of your, of your own home. Mm. And I thought that really summed things up very well. I mean, this is what, this is what, and the, the reasons for it are something else, but certainly, um, when we look at, um, you know, something that strikes me, for example, talking about traditions, right, is how, um, how people will kind of certain kinds of people will jump to embrace and and to and, and will jump to embrace and go out of their way to respect every tradition except their own, right? Um, I remember over the last few years getting into arguments with progressives, lefties, whoever, um, 
where they would, and this isn't even necessarily talking about religious traditions, but just ordinary, you know, habits and, and customs and what have you. Um, they'd be trying to make some stupid progressive woke point about how, you know, it's, it's okay for men to walk around in ordinary life wearing dresses and what have you. And, you know, and my point was that, you know, I wasn't even trying to get into whether it's quote unquote okay or not. My thing is, listen, it's a norm, right? We have a norm, like in, in our, in, in the United States, there is a norm that says in normal life, you know, men don't wear dresses, right? That's it. Men don't wear female clothes. Well, and then they go into this whole thing. And I just pointed out to this person that, you know, on this one occasion, I said, you know, when you go, if you were to go to Japan or someplace like that, um, you know, you, you go to someone's house and like you take off your shoes, right? Mm. Um, you go to Thailand and it's like rude to touch a person on the head, so you don't do that. You know, you go to India and people greet each other with a namaste, right? They put their hand. That's a that's a like a big thing, you know. There's a certain yeah. brand of lefty that just loves to go to mm. <laughs> the Orient and and you know bow and do namaste. And the point is not that you shouldn't do that. Mm. The point is that is that how come you? In other words. When you go to Japan and you say, well, okay, we take off our shoes and we leave our shoes in the mudroom and then we come into the house and we sit on the floor and, and what have you, if, if they have a traditional thing where they would sit on the floor and, and eat. Um, you don't launch into this kind of grad school dissertation on why it's really okay to wear shoes in the house or why you should sit at a table that's, you know, quote unquote normal height <laughs> like we do in the U.S. You know, the, it, it's... You know, you, you you almost it's like no, I'm 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 gonna respect the you know you go to parts of Africa, um you know it, it, uh, excuse me rural parts of Africa and you know people will eat around a, a com- there'll be a communal pot and maybe some flatbread and whatever and everyone and that's and again there's a certain kind of lefty that just loves that kind of thing. I mean there's certain kind of lefties who don't really you know believe that there are actual cities in Africa, but that, that's a separate matter. But you know yeah. what I mean. Um, you know, like uh, 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 th- th- that embarrassment of a prime minister they have up in Canada, right? Justin Trudeau. I mean, he mm-hmm. made a he made a, a spectacle of himself going around India, you know, doing namastes and dressing up in this, you know, I, and and not carrying himself like a head of state, like someone who's like I'm representing my country and my culture. You know, it's almost like he was desperate to lose himself in the East. You know what I'm saying? Okay. And. That to me, that's an example of oikophobia. Again, the, the, you, it, it's not that everyone's tradition is great, or every, everyone's tradition, uh, no one's tradition can be can be criticized, or that one's own traditions can't be criticized. But the point, but how come it's only your culture and your tradition that you want to be transgressive with? And everyone else's cultural tradition, you just can't, you can't get enough of it. That that's that's a something's wrong with the way you're thinking, if that's how you're thinking. And and by the way, something's wrong with it, not just because it bespeaks a, a fear or a loathing of your own home. Something's wrong with it also because it's almost like you don't think you don't see the other people, the the people from whatever foreign country you're visiting. You don't you almost don't see them as actual real human beings who might be full of it right who might be just as wrong about things as you are mm-hmm. who 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 might be worthy of criticism right you know the the you know we're talking about religion christianity versus islam 
right? You know, everyone's very quick, you know, certain kind of lefty is very quick to talk about the, the, the shortcomings of Christianity and, and, and the flaws in, in, the, uh, in, in the Catholic Church or the Church of England or what have you. And then these are real things, of course. But the thing is that the Catholic Church has flaws because it's a human institution. The Church of England has flaws because it's a human institution. The, every single Christian church has flaws, some more serious than others, but all of them have flaws. All of them don't work right because they're human institutions. And but somehow, uh, um, somehow there there is no mosque that has flaws. There's no Muslim religious school that has. But these are human institutions. And in a sense, to to put those institutions beyond criticism, in a way, to me, is disrespectful to Muslims. It's not seeing them as people. You're seeing them as symbols. You know? So, oikophobia, the fear and loathing of one's own home, one's own traditional ones. Now, why does that kind of thing emerge? Well, you know, look, I think there's a lot of reasons for it. There can be a lot of reasons for it. I think, if, for example, if someone... Uh, someone might have been just radicalized because they had a kind of an unhappy childhood or an unhappy uh, adolescence and someone approached them with some ideas that seemed to give them a lot of answers to things and they jumped on it. I mean, that's a popular thing, right? I mean, all of us were at the point where someone approached us with some stack of ideas that seemed to answer everything, that seemed to explain everything away. I mean, I remember when I got kind of radicalized into kind of black progressivism and black nationalism. And it was like, ah, you know, white supremacy was, that was the answer to so many things for me. It was like, ah, you guys obviously are at fault for everything. (laughs) It was perfect. Mm. Right. And it took a while for, it took, you know, a a lot of, you know, conversations and arguments and me being just a young, dumb asshole for years and years and years until finally, you know, I had to confront myself and say, well, you have to do better than a belief system that doesn't demand anything of you, that doesn't ask you to do anything, that doesn't ask you to shape up somehow. You know, whatever white people are or are not, whether they are or are not doing, whatever they have or have not done, okay, your belief system can't really hold water if it doesn't demand anything of you, if you don't have to shape up somehow, right? So that's one. Another thing is that I think... um what am I trying to say? Uh, I think that people who had a tyrannical, who had an upbringing that was unpleasant, like if if you had a, an avowedly Christian father or mother or both, and they kind of abused their parental authority, not necessarily abused you criminally, but just you know were not, they they, they weren't, um, I don't know, they didn't they didn't. What am I trying to say? There's something that Christians talk about, about like, you know, the, the Christian witness. And the, the, there's this concept they talk about, like winsomeness, like the idea being that you, you should, you're supposed to show the world something. You're supposed to be a certain kind of example in the world. You're supposed to be, you know, you're supposed to bring sweetness and light to the world. You're supposed to be the salt of the earth, right? You're supposed to add flavor to things and preserve the things that need to be preserved. There's a way that you can be in the world that show better than actually just straight up evangelizing that just like, whoa, those Christians seem like they always kind of got it together. Like, you know, and um, to the extent that people don't do that, uh, to the extent that they simply use their power over other people, 
um, in a way that's punitive or in a way that's petty or what have you, that doesn't help. Uh, it, th- that can make the problem of oikophobia worse because a certain amount of oikophobia, you could say, is age appropriate, is developmentally appropriate. In other words, human beings, right, we're, we're, we have a very long infancy and a very long adolescence because all human beings are born premature. That's the price we pay for having big brains, right? The, the human, the, the mature human brain is too big to pass through the human birth canal. So we have to be born premature. And even then it's, it's a pregnancy is a minefield for, 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 for human women. Uh, and then as opposed to most other animals in the animal kingdom, we're helpless for a very long time. Okay. And so now, uh, we get to the certain point and we want to, you know, strike out on our own. We want to be independent. And that's normal. And so it's almost as if the, the, the hatred of one's home, a part of it is not, it's, it's not personal. It's not actually directed at one's home. It's more like the hatred of one's prior situation because you, you're becoming an adult and you have to, it's almost that you could almost say it's built into humans like you want to get away from from the home environment and and that may be a good thing because what that means is human beings are more likely to scatter to to move or to not bunch up so much in one place and therefore the, it, it increases our survivability you might say that that's that's one rationale don't know whether it's true or not but that's you you could look at it that way okay but it's when the the, the quote unquote hatred of one's home gets personal when it's kind of deep and corrosive, when it's resentment of one's home, as opposed to just wanting to get away and wanting to to try new things and whatever. When it's this deep, corrosive, almost personal resentment, I think very often what you find is that someone's got some issues that they need to, I mean, I certainly did, um, you know, got, you know, resentment of their parents or anger about things that happened in their childhood, what have you, people who have been abused, uh, you know, tend to, a lot of them tend to get very angry at their home, their home environment, their parents, whatever, and anything that their parents embraced, anything that their parents liked or thought was good or proper. So in one sense, what we're seeing right now is, is, um, is, um, you could say it's partly the result of the, the, not just the fact that Christian culture gained ascendancy, but then the stewards of that culture did not perform the proper stewardship mm-hmm. and the proper witness in the world, okay, to help preserve that. That's part of how you preserve those traditions. You preserve them with a kind of a love and a kind of joy that shows young people, hey, this is this is it right here. This is this is good stuff right here. And if you don't do that, then that's a problem. Um if if you you know uh, to the extent that conservative Christians in, in the U.S. especially have thrown their lot in with established power, with um, with uh, 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 you know right wing Washington, for example, I think that was a mistake because it it's not that's it seems to me anyway that's not what that's not the role of Christians in the world. You know, you're supposed to render unto Caesar what is Caesar and render unto God what is God's, but that doesn't, you know, you're not supposed to line up and be like rah, rah, rah behind Caesar. This is yours, and this is other thing is not. That's, there needs to be a kind of a detachment there. And so to the extent that 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 conservatives, as Christian conservatives have done that, that's been a problem, because then, the, you know, when people look at the wrongdoings of government, 
then in addition to the wrongdoings in whatever established church you belong to, whatever, whatever, right, whatever organized religion you uh, belong to, which is going to have problems because it's a human institution. Now you've you're going to be tarred with whatever brush they tar the government with, because you have said, yeah, I'm, you know, it, it's the 80s and I'm a Christian. So, you know, Ronald Reagan is my guy. That's a problem. And then, of course, we've got the whole thing of the Cold War. You've heard my half-ass theory before that the Cold War was this was this crisis, this moral crisis for the West. And we dropped the ball. We we won the Cold War, quote unquote, and we went around high-fiving and slapping each other on the back because we, quote unquote, won the Cold War. But in so doing, we kind of destroyed our ability to actually reason about morals and ethics. We spent, uh, you know, all this time saying the West is great and da 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 religion or what have you, but but all we did was embrace the opposite of big socialism, which is big capitalism, and it's it's not that's not that's not really to me I I can't see that that's a good role for Christians to play in the world. That's not and and by the way, some of the Christian thinkers I respect the most were vehemently anti-collectivist, but they were also vehemently against big capital. G.K. Chesterton is a person I'm always going on about, and he was, I mean, he was blistering in his condemnations of big capital, of oligarchy, what have you, Um, at the same time that he had no love for socialists, anarchists, communists, fruit juice drinkers, any of those people, vegetarians, okay, but he understood that, 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 that there was a moral imperative to do more than just oppose collectivism by saying, yeah, whatever capital does is good. So that's a a pretty rambling answer, but I'll pause there and we can take whatever direction you want. That's that's good. Thanks. Yeah, that was quite wide ranging, but some, some excellent points there. We we may as well now, as we've explored what we see is, is the results of the, or the disconnect. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a bit about the results. It's like I ask myself a question and I perhaps posit the question to others, mm-hmm. other people who have blanked their religious heritage. And that question would be, have you got something that's better? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, Christianity, as I see it, is a is a, a structure of morality and it's a structure that's been honed and rolled across generations. And up until quite recently, relatively speaking, it's been fairly well adhered to, you know. Um, and by the way, it also seems to me that attempts at replacing this structure with other, what do we call them, idealistic doctrines mm-hmm. haven't been haven't been that successful. <laughs> no. Yeah. So I wonder, uh, is it just that now it's not socially taboo to not go to church, you know, to not exist within the function of the Christian ideal, that we have this huge drop off in subscription um, in Christianity, or is it? that Christianity is just so boring to the modern person, you know, because in, mm. in terms of effects of disbelief, yeah. um, you need not look too far for examples of anti-Christian practice. Um, one that rings true to me is cancel culture, because cancel culture, to my mind, runs against forgiveness. Yes. You know, yes. Yes. so I'd ask you, I'd ask you, is it, do you think it's, it's simply easier somehow for people to break from um, what they know historically is a spiritual attainment that one can achieve through kind of pitting your actions against the ideals of Christian teaching, or is it just too awesome and frightening for the modern person to to kind of measure themselves in this way? 
Oh, that's a great question. So let's take that last part, awesome and frightening. See, part of the problem I really do think is that, and you know, you've heard me go away and we've talked before about, about the COVID crisis and about the idea that one of the reasons for the COVID panic, right, is yeah. that, uh, people have uh, our societies, the ability of our societies, yours and mine, to at least grapple with the infinite things, to grapple with ultimate things, right? That we've kind of, that ability has atrophied, right? Some of that has gone away. We've lost some of it, again, because of the decline of religion, the the decline of Christianity, right? Um, We have replaced, we've replaced religion with this idea that if you propitiate these dead gods, you know, of government and what have you, that, that you will, that you'll, you'll live forever. You, you will be without sin and you'll live forever. You propitiate the gods of wokeness. You make the correct ritual gestures, right? Um, you acknowledge your privilege, quote unquote. You take the knee, okay? Mm-hmm. And you'll be forgiven. And what, well, you'll be righteous. Well, you really, won't be accused. The, the, yeah, you, you won't be accused, right, because because accused. their religion has no concept of forgiveness, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what makes it, you know, orders of magnitude worse, is that it's 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 got all the sin and none of the forgiveness, okay? And then, you know, you, the, the, the COVID-19 thing, it's like, here we have a disease that, I mean, when you think about Christianity especially, the, the, the long kind of uh, and storied history of, of Christians ministering to the sick, Right. And you think about what it means for us to be in a, a place where, uh, you know, a, a, a kind of like a government functionary can just close down churches with the stroke of a pen. I'm talking Boris Johnson now. Just yeah, just don't yeah. don't don't go to church and do that. Just I mean, that's like a big deal. When I was talking to uh, uh, Reverend um, the, the Father big, Franklin, yeah. yeah, Father Jamie Franklin, uh, who has a who does a irreverent pod, you know, he said, he said this hasn't happened eight hundred years mm-hmm. in England, you know. So um, that's how so, that's how much that's how little um, we think of of the church in in this country. Well, you have to say yes, but also it's how little the church thinks of itself, how yeah. how it's failed yeah. to kind of jealously guard its own prerogatives, and how, right? And and how its um, its its flocks are not rigorous in their support. Well, yes, exactly. Well, well, and and look, this this is the kind of thing that happens when you don't when you don't um, when are, when you're not used to having to fight. It, actually, Father Franklin said something yeah. very interesting. He said that that. Um, he said that he thought one of the problems was that the church, the, the, the modern, for example, you know, he was talking as an Englishman, right? So the Church of England, um, uh, that it, it had atrophied somewhat because it hadn't had to fight. It had kind of developed, the modern church had developed in, in, in a cultural environment that was mostly either friendly or at least not hostile to it. Yes. Okay. But, then in recent years, something has changed because something has changed. And now you've got this church that really does have to I- exist in an environment that a culture that is actively hostile to the church, actively hostile to Christianity, wants to destroy Christianity. And because the church 
has not kind of prepared itself. It hasn't been working out, so to speak. Um, it's, it is, it is, it's not, um, it's not able to stand up for itself and that's a problem. So, um, let's see, going, but, but I, I want to circle back because I don't, I don't want to drift too far away from your, mm-hmm. from your fundamental question. So we're talking about, if you could refresh my memory, we're talking about, uh, I asked, I asked you if, um, if a, a person, um, pitting their actions against the ideals of Christian teaching was mm-hmm. too awesome and frightening for, for them yeah, to countenance. Too awesome and frightening, right. So, so we're talking about being able to face ultimate things. Well, religion is, is one of the things it is, is an operating system for dealing with ultimate things, for dealing with eternal things, for dealing with frightening things. Um, there's a saying right, that the, the, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom because whatever God you worship, if, if you if you presuppose and let's take the most I want to say the most secular idea of God, which is not necessarily the God of Abraham, not necessarily Allah or anything else, but just the idea that there is that in all your moral reasoning, there is an ultimate aim point. There is an axiom because there has to be, of course, there has yeah. to there have to be absolutes. You can't do mathematics if numbers are not absolute, you simply can't. If one is one on Tuesday, but seven on Wednesday, and maybe five on Saturday, okay, you can't do arithmetic. That's just how it is. So, it, it, no moral, uh, no system of moral reasoning, um, can be coherent unless it has some immovable fixed point. And that immovable, that absolute, that fixed point, let's, let's call that God for a second. Okay, well, well, that's even that has to be a terrifying thing. Even that has to be, you know, if, if you contemplate that idea that there's some things that simply that are always wrong. Okay, in other words, the existence of that axiom is itself a judgment in the same way that the absolute nature of numbers is a judgment against you if your arithmetic is sloppy. Just, I don't care how you do this thing. Two and two is not going to equal five. I'm sorry. Like nothing you can do can change that. Mm. And 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 again, if it's just numbers, well, it's just numbers on a page. But if it's but if it's the substance of reality, it's how you live your. If there is a right way to live your life, or or put it this way, there are some relatively small numbers of right ways, or, or there, there is some relatively small number of right ways to live your life, as opposed to all the ways you could live your life, most of which are wrong, then even that has to kind of give you some pause, you know, make you think a bit. And we don't have a good operating system for dealing with eternal things, for dealing with ultimate things, for dealing with inevitable things. Okay, well, that's one of the things that organized religion is, was, is very good at, and that's death. You know, what, would, what would we have without the ceremony of the funeral and the, and the eulogy? That is exactly, and and it's it's really, and that kind of thing, and and science can't do that for you. No. Um, science can't answer the questions of where you came from and where you're going. Science cannot do that. It cannot. Okay, and 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 science cannot assign meaning to things because again, that's not what science is. Science tells you about the nature of the world. It doesn't tell you what things mean. Okay, and so, um. So I think I think there there is a sense in which we've retreated from religion because um, 
for whatever reason, I think I think we maybe we got out of the practice of of confronting these things again. Um, the um, is it because we got out of the practice of confronting them because they become they became non confrontational. I think that's I think I think uh, religious. I think the establishment churches did become non-confrontational. Maybe that that's an inevitable uh, uh, the side effect of Islam of, confront their um, subscribers quite fervently, don't they? Well, yes and no. I mean, in other words, and and technically, technically, orthodox, yes, but, orthodox um, Jewish practice that's quite confrontational to the follower. Well, but wait a minute. I mean, but yes, in theory. But again, we're talking about, you know, the, the practical. Uh, Should I say demanding more than confrontational? It no, 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 no. The, the demanding. Com- both of those. Both of those are excellent terms. I'm just pointing out something that that. OK. Um, everyone, everyone is facing the problem of scale. You see. um The. Well, one one of the things with Islam is that there is no quote unquote established church of Islam, right? So, so that the problem of scale, like you know, Catholic. A lot of people don't know that Catholic or Catholic means universal, and so the Catholic Church, for example, was 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 the outgrowth of an attempt to to create a universal Christian church. Right away, they were going for big scale. But the thing is that human human institutions, right, always suffer from the Tower of Babel problem. This is another place where Jordan Peterson has been really helpful. Yeah. It's like it's just it's it doesn't it, it's it's not saying anything bad about religion to say that if if you if it becomes if you scale the institution too big, it starts to collapse under its own weight. It starts to corrupt itself under its own weight because that's just the nature of things. You know, there's a, I think there's a, there's a there's a saying. Uh, what, what is it? Uh, out of um, out of the crooked timber of man, no straight thing was ever built. Okay. Nice. But but what that means is that the larger the structure you do try to build, the more off center it's going to be. Do you see what I'm saying? And in, in, yeah. if if you have a piece of wood that's that that's that's off true by a little bit, and you're building some short thing, that's one thing. If you if you want to build a bridge with it, by the time the whole span is finished, you may be five, six, seven feet off off the mark, right? So th- that's just the nature of human institutions. And I think we've um again be, because because the Catholic Church, because the universal church had scale built into it from the first, um, that was more of a problem for Catholicism. The fact is that, yes, Islam also is is uncompromising in a sense. It's totalizing in a sense. On the other hand, look, l- let's be honest. Uh, the Saudi royal family is Muslim on paper. I mean, you can't tell me that they're really devout and they're really, it's like, no, they're not. They're just as venal as any other heads of state. But, but, they, but, but in the, the, the Saudi religious pe- uh, police, for example, with, they, they really do have religious police, um, don't make any claim to a, to a universal Muslim mosque, you know, People may it doesn't work that way in Islam. It's like you may have an uh, an imam that you emulate, and this this imam may be like a regional guy. You know, there may be people in other countries who also emulate that guy, but it's not like there is no uh, right. So, in other words, 
all these systems, all these institutions are subject to the ordinary laws of human decay and human fallibility. Um, it's just that the scale uh, has different effects on our side because of the, the structure of Christianity as an international thing. And it's different from international Islam. That, that's all I'm saying. There, there, there is such a thing as a Catholic church. There is a Vatican. Um, and there is not really a Vatican, you know, uh, uh, in, in Islam. There's, there's, there's no comparable institution that serves, there's Mecca, but that doesn't serve the same purpose as, um, as, uh, uh, the Vatican, you see. So, uh, you know, long story short, I think, um, I think the scale, I think it, it, it really comes down to scale for the most part. And I think that the way we get, the way we start to, 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 to fight back or rather to, to get back from that, to, to draw back from the precipice is, is to, is to have smaller institutions. You know, the, the, the church of England has proven itself to be, has shown itself to be useless in his, in, in this, um, in this crisis. It's it's shown its its willingness to just belly up to any old bureaucrat waving a pen around. Mm-hmm. I think the answer to that is is that people you know Christians in England need to need to look at the roots church, right? They need to look at at going back to the roots of Christianity, where where the Christians are once again these weirdos on the fringes of a giant pagan empire, and they're kind of like meeting in secret. And and uh, and praying together in secret, singing together in secret, and and kind of laying their hands on the sick and ministering to each other in secret if they need to. Like I think that I think that's that's a way back. Um, and, and and I think Christianity right now is just not it's not weird enough. It's not secret society enough, and it needs to be because that's where its power is. Of course, that's where its power is because that's where its roots are. That's where its life is. Well, that's, that's, that's it. Well, I agree, and that's why it's it's so difficult for me to unpack the demise of Christianity in comparison to to other other major religions. I wouldn't say dem- got, I wouldn't say demise. No, before. sorry, the decay maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, decline, I'd say. Yeah. De- decline, fine. Yeah. Um, because if you was going to play a game of top trumps, you know, Christianity has got has got enough, uh, as much religious symbolism as any other religion. It's mm-hmm. got as much. Um, religious architecture as any other religion it's got swathes of followers still mm-hmm. it's spread across the glo- globe mm-hmm. you know it's it, it's a good top trump card do you know what top trumps yes. are yeah yeah, yeah. yeah you know, yeah. so uh, this is why it's it's more most definitely more a cultural thing it's a it's a cultural um decline than it is a um uh a structural decline, I think, with it, or maybe the two go hand in hand. Maybe the cultural decline causes a structural decline and it speeds it up because you do mm. not see that, that type of decline even in, um, in Islam, in, in Britain. You don't see that decline. Certainly not. Um, I'd spoke about Orthodox Jews. We, we have communities in London. Um, and I've, I've had some, I've said some dealings with them. They came to a, um, activity center for a summer that I was, Helping to manage, and that was very interesting, mm-hmm. you know. And they, they have they, they're muscular, um, yeah, yeah, but remember, robust remember, religions. Yeah, but remember that the see no atrophy uh, present. 
Well, but wait a minute. It's it's not that the religion is Orthodox Jews, for example. I mean, remember that, like, how many Orthodox Jews are there in the world? How many Jews are there? Maybe, maybe 10 million? Yeah, maybe. there's not a great top trump card, but they've got other strengths. The, oh, right, but what I'm saying is that scale, we're looking at scale again. Because the fact is, look, I'm sorry, if if you go to any... In other words, their institutions have all the same problems as everyone else's human institutions. Because they're human beings. They have all the same issues with... Yes. Um, you know, with, with corruption in some synagogues and not in others and this and that. It's, it's, it, this is a, it, because it's a human thing. Now, Islam also has all those same problems, but we are, because we don't know a lot about it, because we don't have people who've kind of penetrated deeply into those organizations, we don't know as much, so we tend to think okay, that comment. there's, we tend to think that there is unity when there is not necessarily. Okay. And like, I mean, all, and, and by the way, all we have to, 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 um, to look, we're talking about the robustness of an institution, of a religion. Well, all we have to, all the way to just kind of give the lie to that is to look at the Middle East, look at how conflicted the ground is there. Okay. I'm not saying and, their doctrines are robust. I'm saying that they're more, they're more muscular, you know, well, more well, vibrant. Well, I would say that I don't know if I'd say they're more vibrant. I would say ours are less vibrant because we have because we have succumbed to the problems that come with scale. We have succumbed to the problem. In other words, you note, for example, you notice, okay, the the kind of the coherence of a Pakistani community that has you know set up shop somewhere in the UK, but precisely because they are small, they are a minority. Okay, in a majority uh, a situation, right? Well, that's um, that, that's turning. That's not so true. Yeah, yeah but wait a minute. Just anymore, bear with me in for some a parts. Okay. Yeah, oh, yeah, but but let's let's. Right now, it, it is. It still is true, right? It's like they're a minority. Okay, and um, so they're a majority in in the parts of the towns in which they're ensconced. Well, I'm talking. I'm talking about uh, uh, as opposed to their. As a percentage of the the, the population of the nation, okay. what I'm yeah. trying to get at yeah. is that that it is groups of immigrants, for example, are always going to be coherent within their solitudes, and you could argue that that's a problem, right? In, in the same way that France has had this problem because it's got these immigrants, they bring the immigrants in, they're not very good at integrating talent. Um, you know, you have all these European governments who've gone down this this so-called multiculturalism thing, which means that they're not insisting that people actually assimilate. That is a problem. But what I'm getting at is that because people tend to bunch up when they come to another country, okay, yeah. from the outside it looks like they are highly – and, if, you know, again, you're not in there talking to people um, – about their daily back and forth and what have you and the gossip that happens in the mosque and in the shop and whatever between them. So to you, it looks like they are coherent and they might in fact cohere more than, you know, the, 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 the kind of sprawling Church of England majority that because it was I've the Church of England. What I've seen of mosque activity, they mm -hmm. look like a far more coherent um, group. Really all do. I'm saying I mean, they bring, is they'll bring out a, small bags of food. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All I'm saying is that's a, that's a scale issue. 
it's a scale issue. It's scale and the fact that the, the Church of England has been a big sprawling majority in England because it was the Church of England. So it didn't have to like like in other words, your coherence didn't have to be a, an active conscious practice. You had a big cold saltwater moat that gave you your coherence, right, and that isolated you from everything else from from the continent. Okay, so that that was your thing. If if I, I guarantee, if you go to the slums of actual Pakistan, you wouldn't find that there was any particular coherence between people in the quote unquote Muslim community. You'd find that there was almost none. In other, yeah. in other words, okay. they didn't cohere in that way. They cohered on the basis of either this, these guys are part of the street gang, these guys are part of this family, these guys work for the same business, these guys are part of this political party, what have you. And they'd just be like everyone else if you went. They're, to they're, all, co- they're all coherent in the way that they all subscribe to to the, yeah, the but, dominant religion. Yeah, no, 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 no. Well, yeah, but but I'm not talking about that. All I'm trying to point out but the topography is that, of the society is is coherent in in and of itself by no, 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 cohered no, by Islam. No, 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 no. I don't think so. Uh, obviously not, <laughs> because is is okay. Is the topography of Iraq cohered by Islam? Did, did, did Islam did Islam keep Iraq together? No, a strong man kept Iraq together. What happened to all of the Muslims in Iraq, which is a mostly Muslim country, when the strong man went away? What happened? What happened? They started slaughtering each other. Okay? Now, again, this isn't because they're Muslims, because they're human. Again, right back to Cain and Abel. This is, they, they, they went right back to the Cain and Abel story. Why, in other words, across the whole Muslim Middle East, why is that ground so contested? It's contested because it's just like Europe. <laughs> when, 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 you know, when, when Europeans were fighting the Thirty Years' War, the Eighty Years' War, the Hundred Years' War, the Seven Years' War, this, I mean, Europe is the most contested, uh, 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 ground, conflicted ground on, on Earth, okay? Yeah. And the Muslim Middle East, the problem with that place is just that some genius decided to draw some straight line borders on a map and said, okay, you guys live together. You're part of the same country now. And they weren't having it. Mm. You know, how many times did they have to redraw the map of Europe? People, you know, the Slavs would do this, and the, the, this happened in the Balkans, and this kicked off over here, and okay, this, da da da, da and this, this guy's gonna succeed the throne, or whatever, and it's like, just, you know, decades, centuries, okay? And, 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 and the maps in, the, the, me, the borders in Europe are, have to have, tend to have squiggly lines. Why? Because they tend to be natural borders. They're rivers, they're mountain ranges, okay? And the Middle East is a mess because the borders are straight lines. And the Muslims, the Muslims, all Muslims who live in that area are like, no, no, I don't, I don't recognize this border. You get back over behind that river like y'all used to do 200 years ago. And so, so, so in other words, the coherence, the, the coherence that you see as a person walking through a town like Luton or someone else or somewhere else in the UK where there have been Pakistani immigrants, that, that is, I'm, I'm not saying it's not real coherence. What I'm saying is that coherence is an artifact. It's an artifact of the fact that these are people coming into a society in which they are not, you could say yet, but they're not the majority. If you simply go to the place where they are the majority, you don't see that coherence. You don't see Muslims, you know, getting along in any, in any Muslim country because they're Muslim. Would you say that the, um, that the treatment of females mm-hmm. in 
Islamic countries mm-hmm. is consistent. Consistent with what? You, you mean consistent across Muslim countries? Yeah. No. Yeah. No. I mean, it, it's, yeah, it's obviously not. Um, th- there's, um, there's, uh, you know, uh, even in in a single country going between urban and rural areas, you might see a big difference, right? And then um, in Egypt, there might be one kind of thing. Um, in, um, you know, in Nigeria or Mali, it'd be something else. In, uh, in Indonesia, the woman will have a certain status. In Saudi Arabia, they'll have, they'll have a different status, right? So the, it's, it's not consistent across all, uh, across all those countries. Let me, um, let me flip that question. Yeah. Say, so would you consider the treatment of homosexuals across the Islamic world to be consistent? Oh, definitely not. Same thing. Same thing, right? It's like um, the, um, you know, Islam seems to, well, let me back up a second. Um, Yeah, I mean, you know, even, I mean, ISIS throwing throwing gay people off buildings and shit like that. I mean that that's that's one thing, but you don't even have to go as far as that to see that there are like, you know, uh, these wild fluctuations in how people kind of come to terms with um with sexual dissidence in their midst. Um some of this has to do with um I mean my my half ass theory is that homophobia, so-called homophobia is actually uh has less to do with religion and more to do with with tribalism um in that uh more is that civilization in the sense of of urbanization in the sense of you know uh, uh ancient Greece being civilized and people who lived outside uh you know, uh, uh being barbaric or ancient Rome being the civis, right, the city, and people lived outside being barbaric. Um, when you live in, um, I think that when you live in, in, um, in conditions that are, that are closer to the essentials, put it that way, that, that is to say, um, when your society has to has to carry itself on a on a on a self on, on a ready footing on a self defense footing right when um you know when you may have to fight off the next group of guys coming over the hill you know when you're nomads or or what have you mm-hmm. uh you tend to not ha- you know you tend to appreciate things like traditional masculinity the men have to know how to fight Right, and they have to defend the women because if if they don't fight and they don't defend the women, if they're not brave, okay, then the next guys are going to come over and kill everyone and take all the women. And that's the end of everyone, okay. So, uh, so the, the kind of, the, those kind of tribal societies, the, 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 there tends to be more homophobia because th- there needs to be more homophobia. If you, in other words, they, they don't have any. Like everyone needs to uh, pick up a weapon or a tool. And have babies. And that's just basic across everybody, everywhere. That's just how mm-hmm. it is. Okay. And the moment you, you, you get into a more, like, like a, a, a more well defended urban situation, right? 
you have a professional military, you have like your civilization starts to expand, you have like more infrastructure, you, you, n- not everyone has to pick up a weapon and defend the perimeter. What you find is that, is that it, very often, uh, those societies become more tolerant of sexual dissidents because there's not as much of an imperative for everyone to pick up a weapon or a tool and have as many babies as possible right now or we'll all die. And that's what that's actually what you see. Mm. That's actually what you see. Um, you know, ancient societies across the board, irrespective of religion, were homophobic. Why? <laughs> because, you know, we don't what do you what do you mean you're not? Either if you're a man, what do you mean you don't like weapons and you don't you're not going to I don't know what that means. You know, what do you mean you don't want you're not going to have babies? No, 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 no. (laughs) This is this is survival. So all ancient as far as I can see in history. I thought the Greeks were um, fond of. Well, well, yes, but the, the Greeks had a civilization. Right. I mean, in other words, they were in other words, they were able to kind of defend themselves. Right. And and even like, OK, the Spartans had this kind of notorious thing with the relationships between between young men and older warriors. But even then, it was like that wasn't that, that you know, you could say that was homosexual behavior, but that wasn't homosexuality as we understand. In other words, those young warriors would grow up and get married and have kids. Right. So so that's my point is like the the I, I think. The, the the kind of the the there is there there's sexual behavior on one side but then there's this kind of fear and contempt for male softness um and and fear and contempt for any 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 male who is a sexual dissident because why because there is an imperative that we all have to defend this thing we have and and that imperative starts to go away as the thing you're defending becomes larger and better defended that that's that at least again in my cursory reading of history that's what i've seen so um you know i i think i think that's that that's definitely a thing and on, on the other hand i would say this that um there is something about the Western, um, like in the West now, we seem to be doing the opposite thing. We seem to have uh, have decided that the, that it's 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 actively a bad thing, okay, for young men to 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 grow up and fall in love with women and get married and have babies. We've decided that that's that's now seen as something bad and that's a real problem right because um because your population is your wealth your people are your wealth and it's very important for for families you know the, the the what people don't realize is that big societies that tolerate sexual dissidents and that tolerate bohemians and that have the concept of art for art's sake for example you know you only get art for art's sake in a civilization that's big and well defended and has a critical mass of what we might call normies, right? It's like, like the, you have to have a critical mass of people who believe in the normal things of like, you know, you grow up, you get married, you get a job, you have babies, that, that, like, but like, you know, and, and it's only because we have a society with enough of those people that we have kind of the, 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 the luxury of tolerating bohemians. Oh well, yeah, these people can go and cut their hair weird and do weird things, whatever on the side. But that's because we have all this infrastructure 
We have this system that's maintained by people who get up every day, do what they're supposed to do. And that's, I guess, my biggest kind of gripe with with the modern left is that um, is that they have this they seem to have this kind of active kind of contempt for normal people. And I really don't like that. It's like it's it's one thing to say that I'm a sexual dissident, I'm gay or I'm lesbian or what have you. And and uh, I insist on. You know, I refuse to be relegated to second class citizenhood. That's mm-hmm. one thing. It's another thing to turn it on its head and say you are the weirdo because you are um, because you are heterosexual and want to grow up and get married and do normal things. It's like, no, no, like Oscar Wilde was the man, but Oscar Wilde couldn't. There, there was no Oscar Wilde. OK, um, back when there was druids and pits and and and, um, and angles running around. The British Isles. That didn't. He could not have existed in that environment. Oscar Wilde only existed because a bunch of squares, okay, got up every day and did what they were supposed to do, and then he could be Oscar Wilde. Do you see what I'm saying? I do see what you're saying. I think we're gonna we we, we should leave it there because there's a few things that we could pick up on next Absolutely. time. Absolutely. Um. Uh, probably. Mm-hmm. I I would like to talk about you've you've just spoken about the the, the left and the right. Um, and um, how the left is kind of misbehaving its way into a sort of a darker future for us. Yes. Um, and 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 the right is capitulating somewhat. So maybe we can. Well, I'll try and get my head around um, those two facets, those, mm. those two opposing powers, and then we can chat about that. What do you think? Yeah, that sounds good. I mean, I'd say yeah, the the uh, yeah, I, I'd say the, the capitulation of the right is in some ways even more consequential than the maneuvering of the left. I think yeah. that um, as crazy as the left is, I think that the right, um, the situation is as bad as it is in large part because of a series of, of kind of catastrophic missteps. Well, let, let's, right. let's hold yeah. it there and, and, yeah. And, yeah. and do an hour on it next time because it deserves yeah. that kind of inspection mm. Mm. mate Definitely. it's been Definitely. wicked to talk to you I always learn a lot and um, you always give me lots of food for thought so thank you very much Mike hey thank you brother I really appreciate it and I will see you next week alright man take care cheers mate ta bye